can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to fellowship around the greatness of your word. And as we gather this morning as married couples, Father, I pray that you will use me as an oracle to speak directly into the lives of each married couple that's here. And Father, it's impossible for a mere man to communicate in such a way that it will impact the spiritual lives of people. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit and the greatness of your word to demonstrate power that will change our lives. And so, Lord, I step back now and I ask you to step up so that, Father, the oracles of God will be communicated. And it will impact our thinking, impact our marriages, and ultimately impact our families and the kingdom of God. So that truly we will have marriages that reflect the very image of the living God. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just in case you're visiting us today, we decided... That every fifth Sunday of the month, when there is a fifth Sunday, and then the whole month of November, we use these times to do what we call a survivor series. And this is where we split our congregation, where our nine o'clock service is designed for just married individuals, and then our 11 o'clock service is actually for our singles. And so if you're visiting us and you're single, just hold tight. You can just stay over and you can get another word. Now, for the month of November, I'm going to change the name from Survivor Series to the Overcomer Series. Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so last week, I gave you the title of what I'm going to share today. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, Getting the Most Out of My Mate. Getting the Most Out of My Mate. And I know some of you all are going, I can't wait to hear what he's going to say right now. And the purpose of today's message is to help every person who is married understand and exercise some biblical principles that will help you get the most out of your mate and have a better fulfilling relationship. Now, how many in this room could have a better fulfilling relationship? If it can just grow a little bit, let me just see you raise your hand. Amen. Now, I want you to find two verses of scripture. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verses 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3. And then I want you to find Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23. In order for every Christian marriage to reach its God-given potential, each person in the relationship must understand their biblical role and then they have to function in that role. 
And in doing so, when you function in your God-given role as a married couple, and you do that individually, you will find harmony, and then you will experience fulfillment that will cause each person to receive from their mate the very thing that God wanted them to get. And so this morning, I'm going to go in a direction that you probably didn't think I was going to go. And I did my best to try not to go in this direction, but I have to go in this direction because I feel there are a lot of marriages that are out of order. Look at your neighbor and say, mine's not. Now look at your other neighbor that ain't married to you and say, yours might be though. (laughs) So before I can show you what to do to get the best out of your mate, I must provide everybody in here with a biblical structure of what a Christian marriage ought to look like. So here's the point number one. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And here it is. Headship in a marriage is a gender-driven position. I'm going to say that again because it's already quiet. But I'm going to say it anyway. Headship in a marriage is a gender-driven position. In fact, why don't you just say this with me so you can get those lips moving. Say headship in a marriage is a gender-driven position. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, and I know some of us in this room are so new school that we have left out Bible school. See, what I'm going to teach you this morning is not about old school. It's about Bible school. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, but I would have you to know He said, I don't even want you to guess on this. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is who? It's Christ. And then the head of the woman is who? Is the man. And watch this. And the head of Christ is who? Now, if you notice, everybody in in the picture has a head except for God because God is the head. So it starts out by saying the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Now, one of the problems that a lot of marriages uh, uh, endure, especially before Christ, is when you married him, he was a headless man. You saved, but you were backslidden. And so when you met him, he wasn't saved and he couldn't tell if you were anyway. You married him. And so therefore now, you married a headless man. Now notice it didn't say that the head of the woman was Christ. Now see, some of you ladies may be thinking, that was back in those days. We are in 2012. That's your problem. Now see, let me explain something to you. Spiritual headship is different from natural headship. See, you can become the head of an organization. You can become the head of a business, the head of a group. And your qualifications and your experience can, watch this, afford you that position. But marital headship headship is automatically assigned by God 
to every married man. In other words, your giftedness and your knowledge and your education, and let me say this one, and even how much money you make does never, will, will never qualify you as a woman to be the headship in a marriage relationship. And all the men say, uh-oh, we're going to have a fight after church, ain't we? <laughs> I'm going to say it like this and let everybody say, Amen, because that's the Bible. Now go, now, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me go to Ephesians chapter 5 because some of you all are sitting there, especially ladies going, well, I need to see that again. Maybe that was a fluke in the Bible. Let me just see it again. So go to Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians 5, and I hope I can finish my lesson this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. I want us to look in verse 23. Let's read this verse and see what it says. It says in verse 23 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, for the head or for the husband is the what? Head of who? The wife, even as Christ is the what? Head of the what? Church, and he is the savior of the body. If you notice that Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 mirrors to the T, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. Do you see that? So I want to give you a take-home thought that I want you to write down, and here it is. Headship is is assigned, not assumed. Headship is assigned, not assumed. And here's the problem that I see in a lot of relationships because I have the pulse on what's going on in our church. We're having a struggle over who's in charge. He said, well, my husband, he ain't, he ain't acting saved. Well, whether you sa- he saved or not, still God gave him a position of head in the family. Amen. So here's the question that I want to start out with. What is the responsibility of the man or the head? Because if you're going to start with anything, you need to start at the top. So what is the responsibility of the man or the head? Or in the context of what I'm teaching this morning, what should a man be doing in order for him to get the best out of his wife? Because I'm about to show you how to get the best out of your wife. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Now, we're going to turn to a lot of scripture this morning, which is not normal. But I didn't want to read any of them by myself. I want you to see them. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 19. Colossians 3, 19. In other words, I'm starting out now with what does a man, what is his role uh, in the relationship and what is his role as the head of this woman so that he can not only do his part, but so he can get what he needs from her. In verse 19, it says, husbands, what's the next word? Love who? Your he didn't say love nobody else's wife. He says love your wife. And be not, watch this, bitter against them. Now I'm going to deal with that part because it's saying what not to do. But I want to deal with what we should do first. Now the word love means to have preference for to wish well to in regards to welfare. It means to take pleasure in the thing. It also means to prize your wife above other things. 
It watch this. It means to be unwilling to abandon your wife or to do without her. And half the issues going on is we have men who are constantly threatening to divorce his wife. When true love says, I will not abandon you. So you want your wife to feel secure? Why don't you stop using the D word? I need to take my reading glass off for this. So I need to see you all in the face right here. Now, now, now. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Just, in, just so you'll know, the word bitter there means to show resentment, hostility, and distastefulness to her. Bitterness. Because if, if we didn't have the ability to do it, God would have told us not to do it. So there's opportunity to show resentment and hostility. Because, you know, most of the time when me and when we argue, we're the ones raising our voice. I didn't get an amen. I got. Okay, so are the women raising their voices? I don't know. I was kind of hoping that those shows that I'm watching on TV is a lie. I'm watching these police shows and man, they're picking up these women for beating up on these men. It's only TV, y'all, only TV. <laughs> Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Watch this. Let's stop. Now, now, notice now, the first thing God wants you to do as a man of God and as a, as a head over your wife, he says, I want you to love her. Ephesians 5 says the same thing in verse 25. It says, husbands love who? Your wife. Not nobody else's wife. You shouldn't be treating... Any woman on your job or anywhere else, any better, any better or better at all than your wife. If you're going to open the door for women at work, open the door at home. If you ain't going to open it at home, don't open it at work. In other words, somebody should look and say, well, he does treat her better. Okay. All right. Let me just keep reading. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ. And watch, he's showing you how to do it. He says, when you love her, love her like Christ loved the church. Because Jesus showed his love for the church by giving himself for it. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he, Jesus, might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So are me to love their wives as their own bodies he that loves his wife loves himself now we can just stop there and see why there are some men that don't love their wives because they don't love them I mean how you treat her is a indication of what you feel about you for no man ever hates his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it even as the Lord, the church. Now, go to Ephesians 5. Let's drop down to verse 33. Drop down to 33. It says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, watch this, even as himself. So one of the first responsibilities of the head 
of the home, the head of a, of a wife is I and you men must love our wives. Now, go to, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Cause I, I, now, some of you all are going, Pastor, can you lighten up on the men real quick? And I, I'm, a, I'm an equal opportunity pastor. So I'm coming. 1 Peter chapter 3. But I have to start with the men because, see, when you want to check the condition of something, just, you need, you know, have you ever heard that uh, if you want to solve a problem, you know, uh, it starts with leadership? Well, that's what we need to look at. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, look in verse 7, I love this. It says, likewise, you husbands dwell, live with them, your wives, according to knowledge. Watch this. Giving what class? Honor, Honor unto the what? Wife. Wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs. How? Together of the grace of life. And when you do that, when you give her honor, when you love her, when you, watch this, when you live with her according to knowledge, what's going to happen is your prayers will not be hindered. Now, let me just say this. Love does not mean your wife always getting her way. That's not what love is. In fact, sometimes men, let, 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 we let our wives have their way all the time because it's a cop out to not having to confront. I don't want no mess. I don't want no problems. I don't want no issues. I don't want no stress. So I'm just going to let her. Just whatever. <laughs> See, can, can, I, can I help you women a little bit? If your husband is always having to say that, chances are you are probably not submitted to him. Okay, I'm going to show you in just a minute. Now, when he told the man to honor his wife, the word honor, watch this, man, man it means to value. To, to me, it means money paid. I mean, it's hard to show honor to your wife if you're not giving her some kind of money. I didn't say how much. This word honor, when you look it up, it means money paid. Pay her some money. Give her some money. And all the women say. Oh, okay. Oh. They ain't scared to say amen. This word honor also means to show a wife honor. Watch this. That outranks the honor given to others. So he's saying, if you want to honor your wife so your prayers won't be hindered, he says, what you need to do is you need to make sure that how you treat her outranks anybody else. Now, let me just give you some signs of dishonor real quickly. Signs of dishonor. It's when you treat others, other women, or even other people, period, not just women, but when you treat anybody better than you treat your wife. And I'm going to add this one, especially another female. Here's number two. When you call her any name that is negative, derogatory, or disrespectful. 
See, God gave Adam the power to name Eve. What are you calling your wife? Number three, when you take care of you but do not provide for her at the same level. <laughs> I mean, you going every week to get your hair cut. Every week. But she got to beg to get her hair did. You say, well, Pastor, I can't afford it. Then why don't you skip two weeks of getting your hair cut and give that to her? Oh, I'm helping somebody right here. I'm helping somebody right here. I mean, there reaches a point where you have to, may have to uh, just deprive yourself of something to make sure she has something. Amen. Most of our marriage, my wife has driven the better car. I know some of y'all are saying, no, she ain't riding my car. Now, let me set the record straight. When she has a nice car, don't mean she have to drive my car. But my car is still our car. I got one strong clap from a single man over here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't like my wife driving my car because my wife and her rules and how she drives a car is different from mine. Her rules are different. You know, everybody have rules. You know, one of my rules is we're not going to eat in here. We're not eating in here. Well, she don't have that rule. One of my rules is we don't drive over potholes. She tries not to, but it just happens to happen in my car. So, you know, we just limit mine. She already has two, so hey, pick, pick your choice, whatever you want to drive. Huh? That's right. She gets more in the budget to spend than me. Amen. Even when her budget was just $100 a month, it was more than what I got. You know, I think now what I get is what she got like four years ago, but I'm just happy to have something. I'm just happy. Y'all see me smiling? It's because I got some budget money. Here's number four. I need to hurry up. When you withhold good purposely and knowingly, that's how you can know if you're not honoring your wife. When you talk about her in a negative light, especially to other people. Well, I'm sure everybody's toes are being stepped on just a little bit in here this morning. Now, here's the question, because I'm going to tie all this together. What is then the given responsibility to the wife? Because remember now, God said there were, three, there were two major things that a man needed to do. He needed to love his wife. And then what was number two? He needed to honor her. Because you cannot love without honoring so those are the two main things. And I promise you this. If you love a woman right, she'll give you anything you want. You respect and honor her and you show her that you love her more than anybody else. And you show it by your actions and not just by your lip service. Let me tell you something. You get anything you want. 
whenever you want it, where you want to get it. <laughs> and if you need an interpretation for that one, just see me in the hallway and I'll give it to you. So what is the God-given responsibility of a wife? Or what can a woman do that God has prescribed that will help her get the best out of her husband? Because there is something you can do, women, to get the best out of that man. Well, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at now verses 22. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22. Now, I know this is foundational, but you have to ask yourself, have you lost respect and honor since you've married your wife? Because it can happen so easily, especially with television and especially with situations with friends. When their respect level for their spouse goes down, you better watch it because they're going to bleed on you. Man, one of the best things to do is to not hang around people who don't respect their spouse. Don't hang around them. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how much influence they have. You don't want to be around that person because what's going to eventually happen is they're going to bleed on you and you're going to end up doing it. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 22. He says, wives, what's that word? Submit Submit yourself. It didn't say make your husband do it. He says, submit yourselves unto, watch this. I like the very specific, unto your own husbands. As, watch this, as unto the Lord. Man, that's a mighty submission right there. Because see, some of y'all are going, well, I'll submit to God, but I'll be God gone if I'm going to submit to that man. (laughs) Man, he says, submit to your husbands just like you would as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, watch this, verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to who? Their own husbands. Notice it said their own husbands. And see, well, I'm just, go to Colossians. Just go forward. You can't miss it. You got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you this word again. Colossians chapter 3. Look in verse 18. It says, wives, submit yourselves Unto who? Your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. You can't ask your wife to go and rob a bank and say submit to me. No, it don't work like that. Now see, what you have to ask, let me just give you the word uh, subject or uh, to submit. What that word means is to subordinate, to obey or be under obedience. It should not, you say, well, Pastor, I ain't obeying that man because he don't obey, obey me. Well, wait a minute. What position do you hold in the family? Now, see, here's the thing. Let me show you how I know you can obey your husband because you obey your boss. Male or female, don't matter. How many here that are females that, are, that work? Let me see your hand. How many of you have a boss? Let me see your hand. How many of you obey your boss? Let me see your hand. I didn't see no hands go down. So if you can obey your boss, women, you can obey your husband. Now, I'm going to bring some balance to it. But see, some of you all, 
You just have, I ain't listening to that man. He ain't say, he cuss, he smoke weed, he doing this, he doing that. That has nothing to do with you just, if he asks you what the budget is, tell him. Amen. Now, now, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to rush now. 1 Peter chapter 3. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 1 because I'm telling you, I see, I see marriages. If you can just get these two positions and roles down, your, your marriage will be better. Men, if you can honor and love your wife. And women, if you can start submitting to him. And stop acting like a stallion. Bucking all the time. He can't even get a word in. I mean, you out-argue him any day. I mean, you the one all up in his face. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? <laughs> Watch First Peter chapter 3. In verse 1, it says, Likewise, you husband, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if, watch this, now this is the third time we're reading this. He says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection, be in obedience to, subordinate yourself to your own husbands. Watch this, that if any obey not in word or not the word, they may also be one without let me read that again. They also may, without the word, be won by your lifestyle or conversation of the wives. He said, listen, obey them, submit yourself to them. And even if they're not obeying the word, your life through you obeying the word ought to make them look and say, man, I can still see the word in the flesh. He goes on to say, while they behold your chaste conversations coupled with fear. Who's adorning? This is women now. Who's adorning? Let it not just be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing the gold and of putting on of apparels. And I'm going to add this one. And by getting your nails and weave done. I mean, we in 2012. I got to throw that in there, right? But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. You can be a lady that talk a lot, but let your spirit be meek. He says a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. For after this manner, in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God. And I'm going to say this. You cannot submit to a man unless you have first submitted to God. So I challenge you, if you're struggling with submitting to your husband, I challenge you to see if you really submitted to God. He says, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Then he goes on to say, likewise, you husband, dwell with them according to knowledge. Know your wife. I mean, I don't know my wife like I need to know my wife, but I know a little bit about her. I've been living with her 18 years. In some cases, I know her better than her. She'd be like, I made an appointment at 8 o'clock. I said, baby, you're not going to make that appointment. <laughs> now, if we had to leave the house at 8 o'clock to go on vacation, she would be up. Yeah. 
But there are certain things I know. Uh, I have started when I see my wife's phone and it ain't charging. I just stick it on the charger because she's not going to do it. Know her. Listen, and when you consider her, listen, she'll, this is how they read it. Wow, he cared about me. All you did was plug your phone up. Next thing you know, you got my wife fixed breakfast, and even though our baby, I didn't eat it because it was too late, and I really appreciate that breakfast this morning. But, you know, breakfast on my desk and everything, but it was, you know, I had already gotten up and got ready. So, you know, you'd be surprised what you can get out of her. Amen. Here we go. Uh, So, you cannot submit to him until you submit it to him. Now, uh, let's close with this one, and then I'm going to give you some science here. 1 Corinthians, go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to start reading in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 15, look in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Now, I'm going to show you this word subject or submitted in a different English word, and it shows up in this whole context. It says in verse 24. Then comes the end. He's talking about the end of the world. When, when he, Jesus, shall have delivered up the kingdom to who? God, even the Father. When he, Jesus, shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Watch verse 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So when you're at a funeral and they say the Lord took them, the Lord didn't take them. Let me just clear that up. The Lord didn't take them because death is an enemy. God wants you to live as long as you can to save as many people as you can so nobody will go to hell. So death is an enemy, but that's okay. Jesus has reigned over death. Praise the Lord. Verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. Verse 27, but when he says all things are put under him. Now the word for he has put all things under is the word submit or subject. Verse 28, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, Jesus Christ, then shall the son also himself be subject. That's the same word he's asking the women to do to their husbands. He said, then Jesus himself will be subject unto him who is God that put all things under him. The word things under him is the same word submit or subject. That God may be all in all. Here's the question I have for you. Do you think Jesus has a, a choice to submit to God or not? Huh? Who says yes? Okay, let me say this. Jesus has already proven through his flesh and his natural living on earth that he said, not my will, but thy will. Once he got a resurrected body, it became impossible for him to now have choice over his will. So I'm going to ask the question again. Do you think Jesus has a choice to submit to God now? He did then when he was in the flesh. He don't now because he has a resurrected body and that body has been resurrected by the spirit of God. So he does not have a choice. Well, if he doesn't have a choice to to not submit to God, that same word submit or subject is the same thing he's talking about women to the husbands. You don't have a choice. You might think you do. 
now in this sobering moment that we have. Let me give you one more, one more hot dog. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I got to say this one, Ephesians 5, because one of the main things he told the wife to do was submit to her own husbands. The second thing he told her to do in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, I'm going to show you, he told her to reverence him. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 33. It says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she what? Reverences her husband. The word reverence means to venerate. And the word venerate means to hold in deep respect, to honor in recognition of qualities of holiness, to treat with reverential obedience. And let me say this, respect starts with the attitude and not with the actions. See, women, your inward thoughts about your husband is revealed by your outward respect for him. I'm going to say that again. Your inward thoughts about your husband is revealed by your outward respect and treatment towards him. Amen. So here's a checklist quickly to determine, women, if you are submitted and are you reverencing your husband. He does not have the last say in the relationship. The last say he gets is an ultimatum from you. This is how you know if you are in submission or not is when you do the opposite of what he say do. Number three, when, she, when you speak to him like he's a kid and you're his mama. Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> when you women, wives, seek wisdom from other men over your husband. When she is just not going to do or she's going to do what she wants to do regardless of what he says. I mean, you listen to what he's saying, and then you walk away going, I ain't doing that. (laughs) It's when you're building your dreams, but you're not helping build his. I will say this, boy. I tell you what, from day one, my wife, she's going to make sure Pastor Evans' dream. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you, you know, I I just knew I was supposed to be some kind of entrepreneur, some kind of something. And so I would be up late watching all of these you know, shows, uh, all these shows buying, you know, saying, oh, you can make money selling houses. And I bought every package on TV. And my wife's like, what'd you buy this time? She no aim. She, she, she didn't even ask me, did you just do the other one? Did you open the box? But what she was doing was she said, I'm going to support his dream. I know he's trying to get us somewhere and maybe he just got to keep trying till he get there. Amen. Are you talking up? And not down to him. In other words, be sweet. Man, I tell you what, ain't nothing like a sweet wife. I mean, just sweet, just, just sweet, just, some of y'all not sweet. (laughs) Your mousetrap. Now, let me say this. I want you to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we close. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1 through 6 and then verse 7. Because here's the thing. When you have a man who's honoring his wife 
and who's loving her. And when you have a woman who's submitted to her husband and she's also respecting him, guess what's going to happen? You all won't have any problems having relations. If you need to know what that is, just let me let you, let me read the scriptures. It says, now getting down to the questions you ask in the letter to me. First, is it good, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? And I'm reading this out of the, uh, uh, I think this is the NIV version. It says, or the, uh, the message. It says, certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife. And for a woman to have a husband, sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in the world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Watch this. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is, the, is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. And if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting. But only for such time, then you come back together unless Satan has an ingenious way of tempting you when you least expect it. What am I saying? Why am I ending like that? Because some of y'all are having problems in that area because ain't no respect, ain't no honor, ain't no love, ain't none of that going on. Well, if none of that going on, you ain't going to want to do nothing. I mean, we got men nowadays who on strike. I don't even understand that one. I'm telling y'all, y'all think I'm playing. So here's a question as we close. Here's a question. Are you on strike? <laughs> Every head bow. If the word this morning just touched you in an area, you say, Pastor Evan, I know I can love better. I know I can honor better. And as a woman, I know I can submit better. And I know that I can also respect better. If you know I was talking to you this morning, we're going to break the authority over that today. And I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and your relationships. Just raise your hand right there in your seat. Oh, many hands, many hands, many hands. Come on, there's something. I know that. Keep your hands up.